millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in the studio today with Joe Handley. He is the president of Asian Access. He also has been with us before. Joe? Hey, great to be with you, Todd. So happy to be with Voice of the Martyrs again. We are happy that you're here. And Joe, I know when you watch the news, because of your ministry life and because of the countries you've been in and the people you know, uh, it is not just, oh, hey, uh, there was a coup in Myanmar. Man, that's too bad. It is, hey, there was a coup in Myanmar. I wonder how my friends are doing. I wonder how this is affecting the people that I know there. Talk a little bit about what's happened in Myanmar politically and and the coup, but then how has it affected the church? How has it affected the people that you work with in that country? So uh, Myanmar had lived under martial law, sort of, or under military conditions for years. And then over the last decade or so, they had a movement towards more peace and more democracy. An Sung became one of the leaders in the government. And more recently, the military has felt threatened by that. So over the last several months, they had a coup. Uh, they accused the last election of, um, you know, being uh, kind of uh, fake. <laughs> and uh, they've, uh, they've taken over the country. And that's cre- created a lot of hassle for believers in the country. And literally, I get texts almost every day of some sort, some fashion, sharing what kind of pressure they're under. Um, They're afraid to go out at night. Uh, Some of them are keeping all-night watches at their homes because people they know are being stolen from their homes, taken in and, you know, harassed. And it's really tough. It's been tough for the church. It's been tough for our work. Uh, We just do leader development for church leaders, and uh, they're feeling the pressure these days. Probably most recently, uh, the biggest problem is the last three and a half months, one of our alumni has been put in prison. Um, He's basically trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus, or he was three and a half months ago. He was handing out uh, beans and rice to widows and orphans. He was uh, helping out police officers uh, that were fighting you know, against protesters, and he was helping protesters. Right. And in the so midst, he was neutral. <laughs> he was totally neutral. He was just trying to be, you know, loving, you know, presence of Jesus and and witnessing in that midst. Well, sadly enough, they took him in and accused him of insurrection. He's been on, in prison for three months now, three and a half months, uh, beaten and kind of forced to give a false confession, which he refuses to do. This guy's only 21 years old. Wow. He finally, after two and a half months, got to make a phone call to a family member. And he said, Mom, Dad, uh, this is huge. There's a, a pandemic raging in the prison. Doctors and nurses are coming in, but they need help. And they're like, well, what, what do you mean you need help? He goes, well, there's no oxygen in here and people are dying. 
And there, there's not enough ventilation for these people, given their lungs and the, the uh, COVID-19. Can you get us some oxygen? Which is very difficult to do in Myanmar right now. And uh, his parents were able to procure some oxygen tanks, took them to the prison guards. The prison guards were floored. They could not believe <laughs> that this kid who has been beaten up, you know, basically for being a living witness for Jesus, was the key catalyst to get them help in the prison. Wow. I mean, it's just astounding, you know, <laughs> but the, do pray for them. They're they're under immense pressure. He's still not released. We're hoping any time now that he'll get released. And, uh, and that's just one story that's indicative of what's happening in the country. It, it is a very challenging situation. Joe, I want to ask a question about Asian access, but but first a kind of political question. Mm. What is it about the church mm. that the military in Myanmar is worried about? Well, why why would they target pastors? Why would they target the churches? What is their motivation for that? I think it's a false conception and a fear of the influence that churches can have. So uh, I find this true in many countries, not just Myanmar. So whether it's China or other places, the government sees so many people as a part of these either small or large fellowships that can easily be persuaded or mobilized towards a particular uh, way. And so they see them as a threat because of their potential. And so anything that smells or sniffs like that could be uh, a political uprising. Uh, sometimes I've heard, not so much in Myanmar, but other countries, uh, they, they're afraid they're a part of the CIA. Um, you know, these are, these are operatives from <laughs> right. America trying to infiltrate our country and create subversion, you know, and none of that's true. I've yet to meet a believer in one of these countries who is like super politically active in their country. They're really wanting to just be Jesus uh, on the ground. Let's talk a little bit about Asian access. As I mentioned, you have been with us here before on VOM Radio, and we talked a little bit then. Mm-hmm. But let's kind of catch our listeners up. What does Asian access do? What, what does your ministry look like in a place like Myanmar or Bangladesh or China or wherever? What does Asian access do? So our, our founder about 45 years ago saw pastors that were really struggling to thrive. And they, they had gone to Bible school, they had gone to seminary, um, although some countries they don't. And yet five years into ministry, they would hit a ceiling or a wall. And many of them had lead to burnout. So he's like, I got to do something for them. And so he went and scrounged, you know, kind of scrambled up the best in the business to build capacity of kingdom leaders. And we've been doing that for about 45 years now, and it's really remarkable. So we, we come alongside leaders two to three years at a time and really invest deeply in their lives. And it helps bring out the best in them. It really roots them in Christ, uh, forms greater Christian character in them. And then that becomes a basis for reproducibility. And we do some uh, training related to disciple-making movements, reproducing disciple-making leaders, and oftentimes it leads to church planning movements. We've seen mighty moves of God through just a two- to three-year investment in the life of a leader, 
really powerful. And and slowly but surely, we are moving across Asia. Uh, We're currently in most of the countries in the eastern half of Asia, but just starting to bridge into the western half and in the near future beyond. That's awesome. So that two to three year process, is that them coming somewhere, pulling them out of what they're doing? Or is it investing in them while they're in the midst, sort of the nitty gritty of ministry every day? Fantastic question. Yeah, we we don't pull them out. Um, the extraction model actually proves counterproductive most of the time. Uh, people go to England or America to get their education and, and I think more than 75%, 80% stay and never return. So Asian Access is one of those groups that actually goes on the ground in the nitty-gritty, as you're saying, and uh, every quarter we meet uh, with a week-long intensive retreat where we do a deep dive with 12 to 15 leaders in their context, in their you know country, and it's powerful. We start with bringing outsiders in. But over the first, uh, say, six years, all of a sudden, the alumni of that country become the faculty. And so many countries right now, uh, well, actually, all of the countries right now because of COVID, the faculty are indigenous. Well, and just as you're saying that, I'm thinking, so God prepared you for COVID (laughs) (laughs) by, uh, by having those leaders come from within their own countries. Uh, because obviously right now, much of Asia, you can't go to, I can't go to. Right. We can't bring in teachers from America. Um, so how has that worked as as COVID has sort of changed your model a little bit? <laughs> Great question. So about a third maybe of our countries, 20%, they still have capacity to meet on the ground because we're small. We meet in groups of 12 to 15. Usually that's under the threshold of restrictions as long as they're social distancing, Mm -hmm. wearing masks, all that kind of stuff, typically in those countries. Uh, Another third uh, are able to do what we're calling a digital form of Asian access. So we've completely pivoted. We're developing a digital platform. It's been in kind of process about the last two years now, and now it's quite robust. Um, it's got a lot of work to do. We're, we're still raising money and moving forward in that. But it's robust enough that a third of our countries are operating completely digitally when they cannot meet on the ground. And in that case, we have foreign faculty and local faculty mm-hmm. operating on, you know, just like all of us have lived on yep. whatever it is, Teams, Zoom, all these crazy things. Um, they're operating and it's going fantastic to the level that Asian Access is actually expanding during COVID which is probably shocking to everybody, Um, we're able to open countries in the western half of Asia now. And I'm actually in dialogue literally this week with people in North Africa and the Arabic-speaking world about opening Asian access in the very near future. That is awesome. And I remember from our previous conversation, one one of the great blessings that comes out of this is the relationships in that cohort of people who go through this together. These are these are my brothers in arms uh, as, right. in a spiritual sense, the people I can call on, the people who will pray for me, the people who will encourage me. How do you, within this, because you're working in countries where high-capacity spiritual leaders 
can also be uh, high-value targets for these governments. Right. Uh, they can end up in jail. You mentioned this brother in Myanmar right now. How do you prepare them for the day the police come knocking on the door or the day of the interrogation or the day, and I, I think often of Pastor Wang Yi in China right now, mm. the day when you hear you're going to jail for nine years. How do you prepare these leaders not just to increase their capacity on the outside, mm. but to have the spiritual stamina to survive and even thrive when persecution comes? So fantastic question. And it goes back to our founder 45 years ago. He realized that for people to be successful in ministry, they need to thrive at an internal level. And so a heavy part of Asian access really is those internal dimensions of who you are as a leader. We talk a lot about um, John fifteen five, abiding in Christ. And without him, you can do nothing. Uh, but with him, you will bear much fruit. And it is shocking. Pastors who've been in ministry 5, 10, 15 years, it's like a completely new experience for them. Their life in the church has gotten to the point where they're living on their own strengths and skills as opposed to abiding deeply in Jesus. And typically, someone who has risen to a leadership position, they have a lot of strengths Absolutely. and skills. Absolutely. You know, they are a high-capacity person, and so it's very easy for them to say, well, you know, I got this. I, You know, I'm a good speaker. I can do this sermon. I, You know, I'm a good leader. I can lead this church. So how do, how do you nudge them back to saying, hey, no, no, it's not about your skills? Yeah, so every session that they have— Every devotion is about abiding in Christ, and we hammer it home over and over and over. I mean, it gets painful at a certain point, right? And, and, and painful means you get to the level of repentance. You realize, oh, hey, this is not about me. This is not about how good I am. This is about really walking deeply with the Lord. And they, they remind themselves, they're renewed in this. And then it moves from that to their own character formation. So back to how do you thrive in the midst of persecution. A lot of that is, think about this kid in Myanmar, 21 years old. Yeah. How in the world do you move from being beaten up and, and forced to make a false confession, which he didn't do, to move with compassion for the people that are dying in the prison and saying, we got to help them, right? That only comes from Christ-like compassion and Christ-like character. And so that formation of your character is, is huge. One of the, one of the tipping point uh, sessions we have is our retreat with the marriage and family. So you get the, the spouse in the room, you get their children in the room, and accountability goes through the roof. <laughs> Right? Yes. So you yes. start finding some of the ugly things in the background and they, they start to surface, you know, and that's when we really get to kind of dig in and see renewal happen in people's marriages and in their, you know, the way they treat their children. And if, if, you're, if you're a good leader at home, that will then bleed over into the rest mm -hmm. of what you do. And so I'd say helping leaders thrive in the midst of pressure and persecution, a lot of it hinges on abiding in Christ and forming the character traits necessary 
to stand strong through those trials and really weather those storms. And one of the one of the uh, things I appreciate about you guys is the way you come alongside leaders. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is one of the best out there. I love you guys. And uh, so the partnership, uh, working with you, uh, several of our leaders actually have wear the Asian access hat half the time and, and the Voice of the Martyrs hat the other half. And I don't know where they come up with that. How do they pastor a church hat? But they, yes. they seem to do it all. <laughs> Joe, you mentioned the the whole idea of abiding in Christ. Um, how much of that, and especially as it relates to persecution, is mm. uh, is an identity issue? Like, mm. if my identity is all tied up in, hey, I'm the pastor of these churches, or I planted 27 churches, and then suddenly I become, you know, prisoner number 80673, how much of that is, is an identity thing of, of drawing our identity out of, nope, I'm a I'm a guy Jesus died for. What what I do is is a separate thing, but my mm. identity is yeah. I'm a guy Jesus died for. I think a huge part of that. You know, it's interesting. I just had a conversation a few weeks ago, um, and there's this big series out in America right now about Mars Hill. You may have heard of it, and uh, there's some books out about narcissism in leadership. And I think that has a lot to do with what you're talking about that identity issue. Unfortunately, this fellow was telling me two weeks ago that over 40% of pastors have a narcissistic personality. Oh, no. I mean, that's that's troubling. That's scary. Right? That's, that's yeah. very scary. So I think a lot of it has to do with identity. I, who is it that's really shaping us? You know, uh, my life, is it abandoned to Christ or is it really about me being on stage and being cool and hip and all that? And and frankly, we all deal with it, right? I struggle with it right. myself. I, I've got to learn to put off the old self, put on the new self, uh, you know, dive deeply in Jesus and let him overflow in me. And so I, I think a lot of it has to do with identity. And then those moments when everything's – when the carpet's pulled out from under you and life is getting rough – you're reminded, hello, I'm no longer on stage, right? I got to go back to the roots here. Yes. It's all about Jesus. None of us want to line up for a prison cell. Uh, that, yep. That's not a pathway that any of us would choose. So, Joe, we talked about Myanmar. We talked about the coup and, and how it's affecting the church. How do we pray? Because we always want to equip listeners to pray. Mm-hmm. How do we pray for what's going on in Myanmar right now? I, I, I pray for a renewal, um, especially amongst the, the military. I, I think that, uh, you know, God has the power over the powers and principalities Amen. of this earth. And we need to appeal to him to uh, kind of reveal himself to them and bring a sense of what's best for our country. So I'd say that's one prayer uh, item. The second is pray for those under pressure. Um, the church today is under enormous pressure, whether or not they're in prison or simply just trying to stay alive in their home um, and guarding their home, worried that someday they'll they'll come and steal my daughter. So pray for them as they face those trials. And then, you know, of course, with all the, the political and government stuff happening on Myanmar, that's just creating more challenge on the local level. Their economy's blasted, um, the pandemic's raging. And so please pray, you know, as we pray for our own countries, 
pray for the the pandemic to go away yeah, and and to, pray to be for conquered. pray for the, pray for the pandemic to be conquered and for the economy to revive mm-hmm. all those things would be helpful yeah, because um, uh, you know we think about persecution and that obviously affects christians yep. but if the economy is in shambles that affects christians too just Absolutely. like it affects everyone else right. so so those are <laughs> those are legitimate ways to pray for our christian brothers and sisters to pray for health uh, to pray for the economy to revive Amen. Uh, joe i know another country that mm. you are active in is sri lanka and yep. we most of us heard about persecution in Sri Lanka a couple years ago on Easter Sunday. Yeah. There were bombings, multiple bombings of multiple churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has happened in the wake of those bombings with the church in Sri Lanka? So the church in Sri Lanka really rallied around those uh, three or four churches, I believe, that were bombed, um, some of which were actually friends of Asian Access. Um, and so the alumni of our ministry in the entire country, which is virtually every denomination, I'm sure many VOM partners, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they they rose to the occasion. They went out, got supplies, went and helped those people in need, came alongside those who had been burned or wounded in the burnings of the bombings, um, really assisted. And then they've tried to rise above the fray and be a light for Christ in the midst of the persecution and pressure that's happening in the country, uh, to the point where they'll have churches that are burned down, um, and they will go and rally behind that family. Um, It's really powerful to watch. One story in particular really captures me. Uh, There was an entire village that was under I forget which religious group because there's there's predominantly a you know Hindu um, or Buddhist groups in right. there, but there are some Hindu villages, right. and I can't remember which one it was, but there was a, a radical religious group dominating an entire village, threatening uh, the local church in that community, and saying that if any of you outsiders come here to help them, we're going to kill you. So they went in. You're not going to believe this. They found out that that uh, religious community, their computers had broken down. <laughs> so they went and bought them new computers and actually helped them fix it. Wow. And that allowed them to go into the community, uh-huh. come alongside the local churches. They established a community center in this village that is now reaching the entire community. And the 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 religious groups like uh, I can't remember if it's Buddhist or Hindu, but they're like, what in the world just <laughs> happened here? <laughs> you know, it's really amazing. So, in the midst of these scenarios, when we are displaying the love of Christ, mm-hmm. then we have the opportunity to speak the truth of Christ. My colleague from Sri Lanka, he often says, Jesus came to share grace and truth. And he says, sometimes we push truth before we push grace. And he says, it's critical that we have grace as a prelude to truth. And when we're hospitable, when we're loving our neighbors, when we're caring for them, we're displaying grace, and then the doors open up for truth. Isn't that powerful? It is very powerful. And I think you know, there's there's such a lesson for us there. You know, mm-hmm. where do we see a need? Maybe it is maybe it's not a need that we would normally say, well, hey, I can help with that. But 
oh, they need new computers. Great. That's an open door. If we meet a need, like you say, then we have an opportunity to speak truth after we've shown grace. Joe, as we think about Sri Lanka, how how do we pray? How do our listeners pray for that country? Uh, you know, the, the bombing now is several years in the past. Those, yep. those churches are still functioning. They're still ministering. How do we pray for that country? So the pandemic has been raging in Sri Lanka, and it's it's increasingly a challenge. And they're very um, under kind of lockdown conditions. So that, I would say, first and most foremost is pray for the uh, quelling of COVID-19 in the country. Um, and then in the midst of that, that they can continue to be. They reach out to the widows and orphans all the time. Even in the midst of COVID, they're out risking their own lives, trying to help the people of their nation. And so pray for them as agents of peace in that. And you may know that the government isn't the most solid there. It's a bit challenging in and of itself. They went through a 30-year civil war. and They're out of that. But the present government faces ethical challenges all the time. And there are rising movements uh, very close to Asian access in the country that are really being agents of Jesus in the country, trying to rally the youth. Uh, There's a a movement that launched a few years ago that the State Department, U.S. State Department, called it one of the five most powerful youth movements in the world. It It was called Sri Lanka Unites. And now it's become a global Unites movement trying to bring peace to different hotspots around the world. They've done a remarkable job of bringing transformation to the youth of Sri Lanka. And that birthed from an Asian Access uh, director's child. It's really remarkable, wow. the movement that's been <laughs> launched. And so pray for this Unites movement yeah. in Sri Lanka and that they can bring peace. You know, the, they see in Sri Lanka the need for peace. Like you mentioned, 30 years of war mm. between Hindus and Buddhists. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to get the upper hand? Uh, I think the young people look at that and say, you know, isn't there a way that we can coexist? Isn't there a way that we can stop fighting with each other? This guy, uh, in fact, he— uh, he went to almost every high school in the island nation, and he said, why are we fighting our grandparents' war? Wow. What, what is this doing for us? Is this helping our society? And that created a movement that has now gone global. It's wow. really astounding. Interesting. And and based out of – from a Christian. Christian from a Christian who is willing yeah. to yeah. to get involved and exactly. step up and speak up. Joe, there's one more country that we want to talk about, and that's India. And I know India uh, India is a country with a lot of persecution. India is a country where uh, the president of the country thinks every Indian should be a Hindu. Right. Uh, and if you're not a Hindu, you ought to go find a different place to live, uh, or you ought to convert. You ought to become a Hindu, and that's true whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Christian, whatever you are. Right. You really should be a Hindu if you're going to live on our Indian Hindu soil. How is that affecting Asian access? How is it affecting the gospel work in India? Oh, I think it's enormous impact on the gospel work. You you see uh, persecution rising in different parts of the country, and some of it is, you know, influenced by the RSS group that's behind, you know, the government uh, move. Um, and that's just put enormous pressure. We've had pastors that have been um, kind of the, the business owners that own the buildings they meet in. Their rents have tripled. 
Oh, wow. uh, for just holding church services. Uh, they're not allowed to park in the in that building complex anymore. It's just enormous. And so we really do need to pray for them. Uh, you know, similar to the other stories I told today, though, one of the powerful things we were able to see over the last few years is you may know the ministry called Compassion International. You've probably yep. heard of them. I, I have. You know, coming alongside kids from age you know, preschool all the way through high school and giving them after-school programs, food. It's really amazing. Um, Well, sadly, uh, Compassion was completely shut down in India. And the very month that it was shut down, an Asian Access cohort decided to rise to the occasion. They adopted three entire cities of Compassion Kids. Wow. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so they, they And this is a cohort of 12 or 13 people, 12 or right? 13 people and they just said, "Wow, compassion has made such an impact on our country. We need them, but now they can't come." Right. So we're going to do it ourselves. Now they they obviously they can't do the entire country, but they are literally calling their friends in other cities saying, "Hey, here's what we're doing. We've adopted these, I don't know how many thousands of kids in each of these mega cities." Wow. And uh they're personally paying out of their pocket, having their families involved, getting their businesses involved, getting their churches involved, and that kind of effort really sends a signal uh, to other people, and they're watching us. People are watching us, and and so that kind of move just shows up in a bright way in the midst of society, and those are the kinds of things we're seeing from the Indian church. Now, that said, there is pressure, yeah. and they desperately need our prayers. In fact, uh, groups like uh, you guys and us, it's increasingly difficult to work in those places. Uh, transferring money to India is hard. So we really need to pray for these indigenous movements that they can get to the point of even sustainability long term. Um, I'd say that's a breakthrough concept for India is can they get to the point of full sustainability locally because the doors seem to be shutting on massive scale. It's interesting, the the compassion story, as I understand it, part of the complaint was we don't want – we don't want foreign Christians coming into our country and and indoctrinating our children. So what a great way for the Indian church to step up and say, no, 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 we're not foreign Christians. We're Indian Christians. We live here. This is our country, and we're going to take care of these kids. Exactly. Um, it, it's a powerful kind of picture of how Jesus works, right? And talk about sustainability. They rose to the occasion. Yep. They're funding the things themselves. So the potential is there. But we really need to pray for them because it is a big shift. And and we're talking about enormous resources that have flown into that country from all sorts of different ministries. Yeah. Well, I also think of the government response to that, thinking, oh, hey, we shut down this Christian ministry and then saying, oh, man, <laughs> we didn't shut down anything. They're still doing it. They're still reaching the kids, which, you know, isn't that like God to, to mm-hmm. open a new door, to make a new way for that to happen Joe, you mentioned some of the complications of travel in in this season of COVID and, mm. and lockdowns and countries that just say, hey, no, you can't come right now. How do we pray for Asian access? How do we pray for you and for the team there uh, in in these days of, of challenge? I'd say, you know, as they're facing the pandemic, pray for their health. We've had a lot of alumni 
um, either fight the the COVID nineteen virus themselves, uh, months and months in in uh, hospitals or at home um, on ventilators. Uh, many who've died. It's just very. It's hit, it had a hard impact on the church globally. Uh, secondly, some of them can't even afford to buy food. Uh, the economy has been so flattened that it's very tough just to survive. So pray for them in that. Uh, and then I'd say on a, on a ministry level, pray for their hearts, that they can be sustained in the midst of this um, the global challenge. Um, it, it is disheartening when you can't meet together and fellowship in your local church and when you're stuck on a Zoom call or Facebook Live and as good as those things are, you know, it's still it's, not the same. it's still not the same. So pray for their spirits in the midst of that. Um, and then, you know, pray for them. They're, they're gutsy. They're out there, man. They're out uh, serving the widows and orphans of the world, reaching out to uh, police officers that are beating them. Um, they're reaching out in the prisons. It's just stunning. And so praying for them in the midst of that it is powerful. I, I'd say for Asian Access, uh, wisdom, that we would know when we can make that call and actually go be on the ground again. And then secondly, we have a huge uh, digital platform we're trying to build out. And the big challenge for us is how do we get that secure enough that it can operate in countries like one of the countries we're talking to right now is Iran um, or many of the Arabic-speaking countries or North Africa or even China. The, the secure capacity to have these digital platforms is enormous, and that just takes a lot of resources. So pray for us. Pray that God would provide. Pray that we'd have the wisdom, and uh, pray that the gospel continues to go forth uh, on the feet of those who are bringing peace to their nations. Amen. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio. Voice for the Persecuted.